You ready to study God's word? Get your Bibles open. I'm going to be reading out of Matthew's gospel here in just a moment, chapter 2. You can begin to turn to that as well as the book of the Revelation, chapter 12. So you may want to put your finger in one of those locations as you find the other one. As I had mentioned, it's the Christmas season. And I promised to you that uh, we, were go- we were going to be talking about some of what God sang to us through the Christmas accounts and felt like we had some, I know, good review information, but I do believe there's some new and fresh revelation here that hopefully will be not just a blessing to you, but an assistance to you as you're walking out your Christian life. And um, personally, whenever I read the Christmas accounts, you know, for years, and again, I guess you would say for me, I grew up, I grew up in church, although the church I grew up in, I, I do not believe with due diligence um, taught or preached the gospel to me. Um, perhaps I wasn't listening as carefully as I needed to. But nonetheless, uh, I grew up going to church. And whenever we came to the Christmas season and there was a lot of activity that surrounded the Christmas season, usually it was just sort of a historical stop. It was just a moment to remind everyone exactly how Jesus, who was the Savior of the world, came into the earth and how he started his earthly life. And so basically I saw it sort of as a sentimental journey. Of course, the Christmas season was great as a, as a, as a child, as a kid, because, you know, that's the season you get all these great gifts. And that's what Christmas was all about to me at that particular time. But as I've begun to take my faith seriously and as I grew up and began to look at the Christmas story and those accounts, I began to see it was a lot more than just this sort of sentimental journey or historical review that I just needed to know because it was a part of who Jesus is and what he did and how he came. But I began to see that these birth accounts of the Lord are a type of prophetic imagery for all of God's people. The birth of Jesus is like a template. I don't know if you know what a template is, but, but a template, the, the best way I've ever known how to describe that is, is more in the area of what you ladies probably know, at least some of you, maybe not many anymore, but how many of you remember or at least know about those simplicity sewing patterns? You know, you, you know a lot, okay, there's some of you that may know, I remember growing up my mom did a lot of sewing. And she had a file cabinet, and in her file cabinet there were all these simplicity folders that, that, had, uh, that had these patterns in them that if you bought the material, you would go to the piece goods store, you'd buy the material, you would cut it out, and if you followed the template and had some skill at it, you could sew and put this together, and hopefully when you were done sewing, cutting, and doing all the things you needed to do, that the dress or the outfit that you were creating would look something like what was on the front of the simplicity folder. That's, that was the goal. So the simplicity pattern is what you would call a template. A template is that thing that, that is just a, a pattern for you to follow in order that hopefully when you follow it correctly, it becomes what it is you're actually wanting or desiring. Now, all the Bible in some ways is a template for our life. But the Christmas account specifically, I began to see a sort of a template or a sewing pattern by which if we could begin to understand what was going on here and we began to apply or understand some of the precepts that were going on, 
we would find ourselves hitting our promises a lot more consistently and effectively than we've ever had before. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is a first fruit of many. A first fruit of many. Now what that means is that he is the prototype. I'm going to use some words here. Everybody know what a prototype is? A prototype like a car. It's the first car of its kind that's being shown to the world. It's the prototype. It's what all the other cars are supposed to look like. But since this is the first car, it is the prototype. Well, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the first fruit. He is the prototype of those that would follow after him. In other words, there would be a whole generation. There would be a whole lineup of new people that would arise behind him, that would demonstrate what he modeled before us if we understood the principles and precepts and we followed the template. And you know who we call those people? We call those people the sons and the daughters of God. We call them Christians. Amen? Because he didn't come and live his life and do all that he did just so we could simply have this great picture of a guy who came to, I guess, ostensibly win us back to his father, but he came in order to demonstrate how life really was to be lived as well. And my view is that if I can grasp and understand how God released his number one promise, if I can understand how God worked in and through and around his number one priority in the earth, his, his first fruit, if I can understand that, and, and, and redemption and salvation... And all the things that surrounded the purpose of Jesus. If I can understand how God worked that promise through him, in him, around him, then it will probably tell me a lot about how he's going to bring promises to pass in my life as well. Are you with me? That's his number one. God's number one plan was redemption. If I can get a handle on how number one plan came into existence, I can begin to understand how his plan for my life, his will for my life, will begin to manifest and be demonstrated. So it should be for you as well. In 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, it's one of my favorite verses, it says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. How many of you believe today, and, and, it, and I'll just give you a hint, it ought to be 100%. We're going to take a vote right now and it ought to be 100%. How many of you believe today that God has a promise for your life? Can I get 100%? If not, then, then you, you need to break deception over your life. If you don't believe that, you're deceived because God has a promise for your life. It's yes and amen. He wants to bring something good to pass in your life. But listen to me. It says that he brings that promise to pass in Jesus Christ. Now that not only means that we have to be in him by way, by way of being born again and certainly following him and walking after him, but in him in the sense that we need to understand what it, he does through him and, and by way of modeling that we can grasp a hold of and believe God for as he brings it to pass in our life. And so I want to start, and this whole month I'm going to be talking out of the Christmas passages, but I want to start talking about what I've entitled this morning, the battle, everyone say battle, the battle over your promise. The battle over your promise. Now let me read something concerning Jesus' entrance, and it starts in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. We read, 
Now this is actually a little after the birth. It says, now when they had departed, it's talking about the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he, meaning Joseph, arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and sent forth, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Now, flip over to the book of the Revelation, and let me just read you some verses. And uh, I'm not going to touch on this instantly, but you need to just hear it, because there's going to be a precept, and it sounds very close to what we just read here in the Christmas account. Revelation 12, beginning with verse number 1. Revelation 12, verse 1. It says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God in his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,200 and 60 days. In some ways, it sort of sounds a little bit like what we just read to you, does it not, in the book of Matthew. Anyway, I, I want to talk for a few minutes on what I've entitled, The Battle Over Your Promise. Now, both of these passages that I've just read to you deal with the birth, and they deal with the battle that surrounded the bringing forth of the child. Now, as I was reading that, it was fascinating to me that God himself warns Joseph that there is going to be an attack on the young child Jesus that he himself has sent to them. I started thinking about that and I thought to myself, you know, you would think that if God was going to send his promise into our lives and into the earth, that he would sovereignly deal with any repercussion or any potential problems that would arise. You would think that if God was going to do this thing and he was going to hinge and bank all his hopes and dreams and desires on the redemption of mankind, that he would flex a little muscle and exercise a little sovereignty and somehow somehow create a condition that when this promise came into the earth that somehow or another there wouldn't be these types of problems. But instead of doing that, all he does is he sends Joseph a dream and he tells Joseph to run. Isn't that interesting? Run. And you know the story. In fact, it's similar to what happened when Moses was born as well. There's a very similar analogy here. You'll recall that when Moses was born, there was revelation in the earth. And the Pharaoh had heard that there was a deliverer that would arise. And there was a battle against 
those infants as well and attempt to extinguish that promise that God wanted to release into the earth. In Moses' case, he was a promise to the people of God in order to be a deliverer that would release the Jews out of Egypt. In Jesus' case, he was to deliver all the people once and for all and defeat the power of the enemy. Now, having said all those things, most of us here this morning, I would suspect, would say to ourselves, well, I understand that. You know, I I know enough about Christmas. I know a little bit about the Christmas story on this sort of doctrinal level or on on a simple scriptural level. We know the stories to say probably a comment like this. Well, I can see why the devil would want to do that. I could see why... Why, we would, uh, why he would be wanting to destroy a deliverer, whether it be Moses or a redeemer like Jesus. I could see why the devil would want to stop all these sorts of things. And so we kind of get that on that cerebral level. But here's the part that I want us to get this morning. We need to start seeing it on a personal level and understand that whenever God speaks promise to you, whenever God talks about promise, whenever he wants to manifest his promise and do these good and great and wonderful things, you need to get a hold of this fact that there will be a battle that will begin to ensue. Say, I don't want that. I don't like that. Well, I can't stop that. It's going to happen. Every promise from God will be contended for. God's promises are not automatic. They aren't just instant because he said them. But his promises require what I call due diligence. I want you to notice here, Joseph had to hear from God. He had, he had to at least be aware enough to receive a dream from the Lord. He had to be able to hear from God. And not only did he hear from God, but he had to have enough confidence and trust in God to respond to his directions that he would give him concerning the promise that he was bringing to pass. Now, I want to talk for just a moment about the imagery of birth. The imagery of birth. I've mentioned before that the imagery of birth, whenever we talk about whether it's this area or some other area, this imagery of birth is probably far more understandable and applicable to the ladies than for most men. It's because, guys, we'll never join that club. Yeah. <laughs> the ladies know very specifically, practically, and, 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 and with all the attributing feelings what it is to give birth. It is most obvious for them. It's not the best of illustrations, but I, I thought of the old joke, and some of you have heard the joke before, and you kind of have to enter into fantasy land here for just a minute. But it was a farmer who was going to have a special breakfast. He had some special folks coming, and so he went to talk to his barnyard animals. And so he gathered the chicken and the cow and the pig, and he asked for donations for the special breakfast. And the hen said, well, I'll donate the eggs. The cow said, well, I'll donate the milk. But the pig said, wait a minute, y'all's offerings maybe just has a little inconvenience to it. If he wants bacon and sausage, that means it's my total commitment. And that's a little bit on how it is when it comes to birth. I, I, I will say this, it's a little bit more, I think, than just laying an egg. Yeah. And as guys, we can watch and we can sympathize with all of the issues of bringing forth a baby. But I'm here to tell you, for, for a woman, it is total commitment. For a woman, it is, it is something wholly different than, than us guys will ever understand or experience. But birth is important, whether you're male or female, to begin to understand what it images when you see it in the Bible. And And birth represents, out of the scripture, several things. I believe I put them on the screen overhead. The first thing birth represents is 
is a change of season. A change of season. Whenever you see birth in the scripture, it can be analogous to a change of season. In other words, there's a transition that's coming. When a birth comes, there are obvious changes and transitions that are taking place in your life and in your household. It's a new chapter. It's a new season. There'll be new issues. There'll be new challenges. It'll be a different season. There's going to be a different order in the household. Whatever the old order was, I will assure you, as soon as the baby screams, a new order exists. Things will not be like they were. Some things will be better. Some things you might consider to be worse. But nonetheless, you can count on this fact that when birth comes, there's, there's a change of seasons. There's a transition and And birth is analogous to that as we read it in the scripture. Secondly, whenever we see the imagery of birth, there is hope and possibility. Whenever birth comes to pass, it is God's way of declaring hope and possibility. In other words, things will be different. I've always said that the birth of a baby always demonstrates that God has not yet given up on the future. I always see it. Whenever I see a child, I say to myself, if God's a loving God and a caring God, then all I know is this, that that when he sends children into the earth, what he is saying is, I haven't given up on the future yet. For within that child exists the very possibility that they could carry an answer to some plaguing disease. They could carry the solution to some problem that culture and society has faced for years. I mean, within that child very much is, is, is the possibility and potential of doing something in the future that will be great. So children carry destiny, and destiny produces hope. Number three, whenever you see birth in the scripture, you can reference it to a promise from God that it's being fulfilled. The Bible always deals with birth in the context of joy. There was never sadness that surrounded birth, but always joy. Children were considered to be the fulfillment of promise. In fact, it was unimaginable in Bible times to really not have children because they represented the promise of God. And you'll recall several stories of women that continually found themselves barren. There was a stigma in the scripture associated to it. And so with the birth of children, there would come joy and rejoicing because it was as if a promise from God had been fulfilled. Number four, birth represented a sign of his intervention. A sign of his intervention. You know, some of the verses we read during the Christmas season are found in the Old Testament. In the book of Isaiah, for example, chapter 7, verse 14. Again, familiar verses, I'm sure, to most of us. We've heard them on numerous occasions. We read this. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel or otherwise God with us. So, so according to Isaiah 7, 14, birth is a sign gift that God is intervening in the affairs of men. And so birth represents that. Finally, number five, it also represents expansion and influence. Birth represents expansion and and influence in Isaiah 54. Let me read this very quickly. We read, and he's talking to Israel. The prophet is referencing the, the nation of Israel, and he compares Israel to a barren woman. But this is what he says by way of promise. He says, Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. 
And then he speaks the promise. Enlarge the place of your tent. And, and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left. And your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. And so, so God is beginning to speak a prophecy to spiritually barren Israel. And he says to get ready. You're going to give birth. You don't feel like it. You don't sense it. It doesn't seem like it's happening in you right now. But he says you need to get ready to give birth and when you give birth you will expand and you will multiply. He said you'll move to the left and to the right. He says go ahead and get your tent pegs stretched out. It's going to happen and it will give you influence and it will give you a a, a dominion over the other nations. And so all of these images that I'm just throwing out there right now are all images with regards to the concept of birth in the scripture. Now, let me just stop here and just share this with you. If you have a promise from God, and all of us do, in order for that promise to come to pass, you're going to have to birth that thing. And in birthing that thing, you need to understand that when the promise comes to pass, all of those things that I just mentioned to you will probably be associated with that promise in some form or some fashion. Now, also understand, especially guys, that that everyone in this room gives birth. Now, I realize it is exclusively a ladies' club when it comes to giving birth in the natural. But the Bible says in Galatians 3.28, it says that no longer is there Jew or Greek, no longer is there slave or free, no longer is there male or female. And when you begin to read Galatians, you begin to understand that whether you're a woman or whether you're a man, all of us are referred to in the Bible as the bride of Christ, right? Right? So all of us are a part of the bride of Christ. Me, you, everybody. Don't don't let your testosterone get in the way of this concept, guys. I mean, all of us here are part of the bride of Christ. He's the husbandman. We are the bride. And we need to understand that when it comes to spiritual birthing, that that there is no such thing as it's just reserved for the women, but the guys are a part of it too. The only way your promise can come to pass, no matter what your promise may be, is you need to understand you're going to birth that thing. And now, guys, I'm talking to you specifically. Because we don't understand birth in the natural, sometimes we get clueless in the spiritual. We need to understand that that thing's going to germinate, it's going to grow, it's going to stretch us, it's going to cause us to be cantankerous and hormonal, it's going to cause us to be sick at times. We need to begin to understand that that thing's going to have to germinate because the fact of the matter, if God brings forth something by way of promise too soon, that's called a miscarriage. Amen? And a lot of times there are far more men who've miscarried promises than women. And we need to begin to understand that all of us are going to have to somehow wrap our brains and our spirits around the concept and the imagery of birthing because truth is, all of God's people are usually in one of the following conditions. Let's go ahead and put that. People are usually in one of the following conditions. Number one, everybody in this room is in one of the conditions I'm about ready to mention. Number one, we are either getting spiritually pregnant with promise by conceiving it through faith in his word. That's how it gets started. Every promise starts with conception. There has to be a moment. Conception. There's a moment you weren't pregnant. There's a moment you are pregnant. What changed those two specific states? It was was conception. Something was conceived. And so right now, 
There may be some of you who know you're promised in God and know that God has good things for you, but it's not been conceived in your inner man yet. And so perhaps this morning is going to be your morning when for the first time by faith you latch hold of the promise of God and that word begins to seed in you and conceive in you and it can begin to grow and begin to mature. And it doesn't mean that it happens in 24 hours, but it means that it just begins to start that maturing process in you in order that God can bring it forth. Some of you will be there. Number two, some of you will be at this point. We are currently being stretched as that promise is maturing in us. You've conceived that thing already in your inner man. That promise from God. You're beginning to see it grow. It's stretching you. It's, it's, it's giving you some sense of uncomfortability. Your, your shape is not like it was. Your feelings aren't like they were. But you're currently being stretched and it's happening. How many of you know in the birth process this is important? You can't skip this. Some of you are right here. Number three. You are going through labor as you're about to deliver the promise to its manifestation in your life. <coughs> Every promise that God gives is not pain-free. Now, I understand you can get an epidural these days in order for you ladies to give birth. If that's your desire, you can take relaxing things if that's your desire. You can go through blowing techniques in order to give birth naturally, if that's your desire, however you want to do it, that's your business. But I'm just here to say this. I've yet to find the drug that can get me knocked out in order to give birth to my promise. There's just not one out there. I, we, can't, we can't give you, I mean I, I mean, I don't know this to be true. And I don't, you know, I understand there are people who battle depressions. And, and I, I don't want to put any guilties on you or anything. So just bear with me for just a minute. But I, I, I kind of wonder now, sometimes, if we don't pump ourselves full of drugs that kind of knock us out, while, we're, while, while God's trying to bring birth us into something. So, so, so we need to understand that there's going to be a labor about bringing to pass and a delivery to a promise. If, if you want to see God bring something to pass in your life, you're going to labor with that thing as you deliver that. And that's not always fun. It's not always easy. In fact, most women that I've talked to, again, I'm not a part of this club, but it's interesting that most women I talk to would love, would love about 30 days clipped off the end of their pregnancy. <coughs> Seems like for a lot, they go through those eight months or however long that is. Well, but it's that last month. That last month seems like an eternity. And, and, and the other thing I know with regards to the ladies, if they could figure out some way to move through the delivery phase, because it always seems like there's always one more contraction more than you can take. You're just wanting it to stop. And, it, and it's painful. But you need to understand that, that all of that takes place in order to bring that promise to pass. Number four, some of you here today could very well be at this location. Thank you. That you're watching and tending to the promise just like a young child. In other words, you've got your promise. It's starting to happen, but you didn't bank on the fact that it wakes up at 3 a.m. in the morning. You thought it was just going to come and it was just going to be on autopilot. But it took a lot more work and you got, it's, a, it's messy. Have you ever noticed that new promises <coughs> fill diapers? Man, that's tough. I mean, that's tough. I tell you what the toughest thing is. And, and some, those of you that have young children will know what I mean. <coughs> diapers aren't too bad when they're nursing, but when they get to real food, oh my Lord, that's... <coughs> <laughs> 
So, so that's where you are. Your promise, God's promise to you is coming. You're tending it. You're working with it. It's messy. It's not easy. It cries. It takes a lot of attention. You're around it all the time. And, and that may be where you're be, or may, may be where you are. Or number five, some of you may be here. You are releasing that promise into the earth to accomplish the purpose that God sent it for. There comes a moment when every purpose of God, every promise of God, is not just to be self-consumed, but the natural order of life is this. You know, you, you, you conceive, they mature, you birth, you raise them up, you steward them, and then you release them. And that's exactly what happens. If, if something like that doesn't happen, it's, it's not in order, and it gets, and it gets weirded and, 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 and dysfunctional. So all of us in this room fit somewhere in those conditions. Some of you are birthing careers. Some of you are birthing a vision that you have. You're birthing relationships. You're birthing a ministry. You're birthing a vocation. You're birthing a hope. You're birthing a dream. Everybody in this room, if you're really serious about following God and you want to embrace His promises for your life, you are going to birth something with regards to His will for your life. But everyone in here is designed to see and experience that full manifestation of His promise. So having said all of this, it should not be a surprise to us that there might be a battle or two over what God is trying to bring forth. You need to understand that he, that the enemy, he is not wanting God's expression of his will to come through your life. You need to get a hold of that. And if you ever wonder why it is that it seems like following God at times is harder than what you watch your heathen neighbor or co-worker or friend. I've, I've heard people say this before. They said, well, I might as well quit serving God. It seems like my, my, my unsaved you know, family or friends, they seem to have it easier than I got it. Well, well, welcome to the kingdom. They don't have hell after them. You do. Well, you say, now explain to me again then why I should do this. It's because the race is not to the swiftest. It's who gets to the finish line and makes sure it's the right finish line. And that finish line is the one that says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Remember that now. Remember that. It's, and it's hard. It's hard not to get wrapped up in the glitter of this age. It is hard. But understand that the true finish line is that finish line where we come across and God says, good job. Good job. Well, let's, let's try to look at this and see beyond the natural. Seeing beyond the natural. All of us recognize that there are going to be challenges to life. There are trials that are a natural part of the human condition. If you're a human being and you're breathing this morning, you are going to face trials. But it's important that you see the spiritual activity behind some of what is going on in your life. That is why I read to you that Revelation 12 passage. Revelation 12 is is a passage that begins to give us a peek behind the veil of the natural to see what's really going on. Now, for just a minute, some of you perhaps in the room do a lot of study in the area of the second coming and last days, and you're a real eschatology buff. I, I just suspend all of that for just a moment. I don't want you to get all wound up in all the, the different ways of interpreting the revelation. I just want you to look at Revelation 12 for just a moment 
as an illustration. Just look at it as a, as a picture or a story of something that I want to illustrate. Because in Revelation 12, we find a woman here giving birth. And if you'll forgive the saying, as she gives birth, the scripture instantly tells us that all hell is mobilized. All hell breaks loose. And now some are convinced that the woman is Israel because of the way they interpret the book. But, but I, I have begun to see the woman as a picture of the people of God in its broadest sense. And they're giving birth. This woman's giving birth to a promise. And the principle at work here is that the instant the enemy sees a promise of God beginning to be birthed, he mobilizes the realm of darkness. And so, as we've mentioned at the time of Moses, it was Pharaoh. Pharaoh was being used to the enemy at that particular time and immobilizes his armies in order to destroy the promise God was wanting to bring forth. At the time of Jesus, it was this guy named Herod. Herod was, was doing all of this. He mobilized his Roman soldiers in order to extinguish what he thought was the promise of God that was seeking to manifest itself in the earth. But here's the key we need to understand. As despicable as Pharaoh was and as despicable as Herod was, behind it all was Satan himself. You got you to gotta keep that feature in mind. It was Satan himself who was contending for that promise. And the same thing is or has happened to many of you as you battled for your promise. The minute God wants to bring that thing forth, all of a sudden issues start happening. And you need to understand at this particular moment, we are not leaving people totally off the hook. I understand that there are folks that, that are causing the trial, they're causing the challenge, they're causing the suffering. But you need to stop for just a moment and call a time out and just once again catch your senses and begin to understand that behind it all is Satan himself. It is the enemy who is seeking to extinguish that which God wants to bring forth out of your life and into your life. And and my intention is not to give another message this morning on spiritual warfare. We've talked about spiritual warfare on numerous occasions. In fact, come to an encounter weekend and you can get a whole weekend on that. But I just want to talk a moment about Joseph's strategy. I just want to begin to talk about the atmosphere, the culture, just some of the natural even strategy that you can bring to the equation as God is trying to bring forth this promise and as this battle is ensuing in your life with regards to what he wants to do. Number one is, what I just mentioned, you need to begin to see the real perpetrator in the battle. you got to see who's really behind all of that which is going on in your life. Just as God uses people in your life. How many of you know the devil uses people too? Sure he does. At times they willingly allow that to happen and at other times they're ignorant. They don't know they're being used by the enemy. It's not as if they signed up. There was no sign-up sheet that the enemy brought out and said, please sign up here for me to use you. I mean, they're, they're ignorant to that fact. But nonetheless, they're being used in some form or fashion in order to bring great challenge or trial to your life. Now, here's the key. Listen to me. This is very important. The key is not, do they know the devil is behind what they're doing, but rather, do you know that the devil's behind what they're doing. You see, we always feel like if we could awaken them, that would fix what's going on with us. But that's not always the case. They may, they may not. They may not care. They may not even believe there's a devil. Who knows? But that's not the key. The key is not awakening them to who's using them. The key is, do you know who's behind all of this? What Herod did was despicable. 
But if this was 21st century America, unfortunately in the day we live in now, what we want to do in the church is we want to organize politically to always address the situation. And this may come as a shock to many conservative Christians of whom I am one. But politics will not address your circumstances that are spiritual at their root. And, and ain't nobody more conservative than I am in this room. I will assure you of that. Satan isn't bound and Satan is not loosed because we voted in or out a candidate from office. Some people think they've done spiritual warfare when they've clicked the lever. I am as concerned as anyone is over certain directions our culture is taking. But I've come to the conclusion, and I've, you know, I've been all over the map, and I'll be the first one to admit it. But the root cause is not just political power, but it's spiritual power that we need to see again. We need to understand, we, we really can change a lot more by praying. That is not to abdicate our citizenship, but it is to say, we need to understand that just because you change the White House, won't change your neighbor's house. Say, and maybe we need to change God's house, and one of the ways is we need to understand who the real perpetrator behind all of this is. The only way a promise will come is when we see the real front lines of the battle. We need to be a, a diligent citizen of the nation we are a part of. But the fact of the matter is, I don't care who the face, who the name, you may have your preference and you may have your own philosophies of government and all the rest, but this much I know. I know that Satan is a part of the hierarchy, the world forces of darkness. And I better understand who's behind the scenes. And you need to understand who's behind the scenes of the challenges in your life as well. Number two, you need to keep steady and be confident. Keep steady and be confident. It's interesting about Joseph. Whenever I just read through the accounts and I just think about Joseph, I always notice that Joseph never says a word. You know, there's no quotation by Joseph in all the Bible. He never says a word. In fact, he's just portrayed as... As this guy doesn't say much, but apparently he's got lots of character because he always is doing the right thing. He's steady. He doesn't have to shoot his mouth off. He doesn't lose his cool. There's a confidence, it seems at least to me, that he knows what the voice of the Lord is and the direction of the Lord. And so despite all this stuff that's happening around him, which would cause upheaval for any of us, he sits there and hears from God, wakes up in the middle of the night, looks at his family, and he says, we're taking a little detour here to Egypt. And off they go. I want to ask you this question, and you can ask yourself. When you're challenged, or when you're stirred, how do you react? When, when the battle's going on around you, and, and, and there's great challenges perhaps to what God's wanting to do in your life or just challenges in general around your life? I mean, how do you react? Do you flip out? Do you go crazy? Lose your cool? Or, or do you find a place where you can be steady and find that place of confidence in the promise of God and stay steady in the battle? I don't know about you, but if you think about spiritual things with military analogies, which oftentimes they are given to us in that way, Think, think about it for just a minute. I mean, do you want, you want the army just being like crazy and looking at each other and panicking? Or are you amazed because of their military training when a battle comes that they're steady and they're calm and because of that training they're able to, they're able to with confidence, go through that particular situation? I'm going to suggest to you that 
that in those seasons that it's peaceful and you're getting your training, be sure you're absorbing it because when the challenge and the battle comes, and it will come, that's the moment to be steady and confident. Number three, you need to understand and obey the timing of God. Understand and obey the timing of God. As I mentioned, it's interesting that Joseph, after he received that dream from the Lord, he understood the timing of it. It said in verse 14 that it was at night, they departed for Egypt, he arose with his family. And I was just thinking, you know, there's always a timing to the promise, promise of God, and even a, even a timing for the battles you face. There's a strategy to the way God does things. And we need to seek him and hear from him about how a battle is to be faced. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but you know, there are numerous records of battle in the scripture. And every battle, so far as I can see, and I'll stand corrected if you can, if you can show me where it happened exactly the same way, but so far as I can see, every battle story in scripture has a different strategy. In other words, there were no two battles that were fought exactly the same way. The way Joshua, you know, took on Jericho was not the same way that, that Gideon took on, you know, the, the Midianites and those forces. It was not the same way. Neither of those two battles were the same way that Jehoshaphat took on the Amalekites and the Amorites and all the ites, you know, that he had to fight. None of them. When David went after Goliath and had that particular battle, it was not the same strategy as some of these other battles. And, and as I looked through the word, there was never a single battle that had exactly the same form or strategy. So, so God can and he does give unique strategies for your battle. And you need to have an ongoing relationship with him so you can hear what he's saying for the battle you're facing. And you can watch and listen and sometimes I will share or, or other people that have faced battles and have moved through them will share with you. And you can hear and be encouraged by how they faced it, how they fought it, how they got through it. But you know, ultimately, whatever battle you face, it's your battle, is it not? And it's, since it's your battle, you're going to have to get your strategy. And that strategy certainly can't violate the word of God. It ought to conform to God's word. But at the same time, there might be a uniqueness to that strategy that God designs purposely so that you will seek his, his voice, that you will seek a relationship with him. So you're just not seeking your promise. Are you with me? You're just not going after the goodies or what God has for you, but you're saying, Lord, ultimately, I'm in relationship to you, and I want to hear you and what you have to say. And I just thought it was fascinating that what God said to Joseph was was this, get up and run. Get up and go. That was the strategy. And so understand and obey the timing of God. And then finally, number four, there's got to be a willingness to sacrifice your agenda for that promise. You know, Joseph was notable because he was willing to let his business go for a couple of years to fulfill what he needed to do in order to facilitate that particular promise of God. Now understand, everybody does this different. I'm not telling you to let your business go or quit your job. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm, 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 I'm saying listen to the precept. The precept is he was willing to sacrifice whatever agenda he had in order that the promise of God could be facilitated in the earth. Joseph understood that the promise was bigger than just him. In fact, he understood that it would have greater impact even far beyond him. I mean, that is incredibly, I started to think about that. I thought how incredibly unselfish and how incredibly hard for a human being to do. 
Now, I think I've mentioned this before, but I want you to think about this because I know some folks didn't hear this last year. Because the instant we enter into that absolute trust with God, we say to ourselves, well, what's God going to do? How is he going to work this out? Hey, I understand, and I understand the fears that are engendered and all the other things that begin to crop up. But here Joseph is, apparently had a fairly successful carpentry business, wood, woodworking business, but, but he goes to be census and taxed with his, with his uh, wife, Mary. And, uh, of course, she was supernaturally pregnant by the Holy Ghost. So here he is taking her off to Bethlehem in order to take care of the official government work that he had to take care of. He left his business for that. And now in the middle of it all, he finds himself in a battle. God begins to talk to him. And he doesn't say, go back to your business and and just, just lay low at your business. But he says, I want you to get up and I want you to go to Egypt. Now, I'm here to tell you, I don't know what all took place because he was probably there a couple years at least in Egypt. So I don't know if he created a new business, if he started one up. I don't know what Joseph did. We just don't see that in Scripture. Probably he did something like that. But I can tell you this, that God sent magi. He sent wise men, did he not? And they presented to the baby gifts, expensive gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And all of a sudden, his two-year sojourn to Egypt was funded right there. Because he was willing to do what God asked of him to do. And we've said it so long. Where God guides, he provides. God's will done, God's way will never lack God's resource. So if you stick to God's plan... And be faithful and responsive to him. He will sustain you. And just as we're wrapping up in the book of the Revelation. Let me just go back to Revelation 12. If you lost it, go back there real quick. Revelation 12. A lot of people want to know where this verse is. And I'm going to show you where this verse is. Verse 11. Because in that chapter, as the dragon comes against the woman who just bore the child. It says in Revelation 12, 11. It says, and they overcame him. By the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. A lot of folks never read that last phrase. I've even seen that verse plastered on walls at churches, and they leave that last phrase out. I've really, I've seen it in books quoted, and they'll stop right before that last phrase. They did not love their lives even to death. They, they don't want to mention that. They don't want to say anything about that. I guess they think the first two-thirds are, are true and appropriate, and we haven't determined what that last third's going to be or not. But can I just share this with you? And I wrote it down here. I put it in bold print on my notes. It says this. You see, the most frightening army to face is the one which isn't frightened to lay their life down. If you go to battle against an army that doesn't care whether it lives or dies. Those are desperate warriors. Is that not true? Is that not true? The most frightening army to face is the one which isn't frightened to lay their life down. And do you know why Satan has no fear of the army of God? It's because he knows we cling to our lives. We cling to our ways. We cling to our agendas. We, we, we cling to what we want so tenaciously that he knows if he throws a battle at us, he knows that we'll run from the battle. He knows. Because he knows it's more important for us to keep a hold of what it is that we want and what we think and 
what it is that, that we've determined that we need to have and all those particular things. He knows that. And so when the battle comes, we say, I, I'm, I'm checking out. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm throwing in my faith. I'm getting out of this. He knows that already. And that's why he is, he is so adept at battle. But can I just share this with you? If you'll get a revelation this morning that you've got a promise in God, number one. God wants to bring it to pass, and he will. Number two, you're going to have to steward that thing and, and tend to that thing because it doesn't happen overnight and all the things that are associated with birth. And if you'll be willing, if you'll be willing to not only overcome them by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony, by keeping a good, solid, positive confession... But if you'll just look and say, God, I am in this for you. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I would love good things. I would love great things. But ultimately, I am in this for you. I am here to tell you that if you'll understand that a part of the battle is understanding that it's not my will, it is not my way, and it is not my agenda. But, oh God, it is your promise. It is your way. And the reason I was born and the reason I was created was not to find self-fulfillment or self-satisfaction. But my whole reason for breathing and living and taking up space in this earth is to give glory and honor to you. That is my only reason that I exist. That's my only reason. It's it. That is it. You created me just to worship and love you. you, you put in, maybe you put in front of me a job. You put in front of me a career. You put in front of me this vision. You put in front of me whatever it is you put in front of me. All of this that is by way of promise exists only to give glory to you. Is that not what he said? Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. I could tell you all kinds of stories this morning, and I, I, I won't bore you with all my stories. You've heard a lot of them. But, but invariably, no matter what promise it was that God had spoken, released, or seeded into me or our household or to Trace or to Clay or... Tyler or DeKalen or whoever it is, all of us or us individually, I can tell you this, you, don't, you, you may not know all the battles behind the scenes, but can I tell you there's some battles behind the scenes. So, some of you know right now, some of you got some promises from God and you've got some battles that not everybody knows behind the scenes. I mean, can I, let's just ask this question right now. How many of you had had a promise from God and you were going after it and you had a battle behind the scene? Just lift your hand right now. See, you know, that should make you feel good. You're not the only one that's ever been in a battle. I mean, when God called me into the ministry, you say to yourself, praise God, I'm going to get to work for God full time. I'm going I'm to go into the ministry. It's, it was in my heart to do. And it, for me, it wasn't, you know, he got me when I was ignorant. I didn't know what, what, what it was all about. So, you know, I was, just, I was just dumb as a board. So God called me and I just said, oh, okay, you know, you know. And I didn't realize all the other things that went on that you should run from. But anyway, um, but he got me that way. But little did I know, little did I know, and no one knows all the battles. I mean, I'm not even going to bore you with all the details of battles. But there were, there, were, there were so many battles we can't even count. I remember when we went to that first little town. Some of you don't know, Tracy and I pastored this little circuit out in Missouri. The town, one town had 100 and... 10 people, and maybe the other town had 105 people in it. I mean, that was the whole town. I can remember one Easter that there were about 80 or 90 people that showed up for Easter service. And I thought to myself, what other pastor can say he had seven-eighths of his city in his church? <laughs> you always try to find ways to make yourself feel good about what's going on. But, man, there's battles, all kinds of battles. 
you want to follow the Holy Ghost and you want to be a part of a full gospel ministry and you're in a denomination. And man, if you, if you, want, to, if you want to see a battle, you get a religious spirit stirred. I'd just soon fight, you know. I'd, just give me a psychic. I'd rather fuss with a psychic than a religious person. You know, you've heard the stories. Kalen was our promised child. Boy, what a battle took place in order to get her here. A lot of people don't know that. It's just battles, 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 battles. And my point is not to just focus on the battle. My point is to focus on this. I'm still breathing. Still preaching. Still doing the will of God. And you know, you'll do it too. If you understand that's what happens. There's always a battle for your promise, that vision. There's going to be a battle for your marriage. There's going to be a battle for your family. There's going to be a battle for the ministry. There's going to be a battle for destiny. Don't, it, anybody that tells you it's all smooth is just not even telling you the truth. They're just not doing it. There is a battle always. And if there was a battle for God's number one plan that involved his very own son, Jesus Christ, there will be a battle for you too. But here's the good news. The battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. And the good news is that Jesus won. He became the first fruit of many. And he has declared that you should win too. If you'll follow his ways and you'll implement his precept. Amen? A battle over promise. Let's all stand, shall we? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be your name, O God. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place this morning. I give you thanks that you are here and you are inseminating, you are, you are conceiving again in people their promise, that which you have spoken. Lord, I pray right now in this house that it would be an atmosphere, Lord, that it could be easily received and believed and, con and, and, and conceived inside. Lord, I pray right now for those that are, that are, are seeing it mature and it's stretching them. I pray for them right now, Lord, that, that they would be patient with that process. Lord, I pray for those that may be giving birth at this very moment to promises that you have spoken. And um, wow, it's tough, it's hard, it can take your breath away. And Lord, I pray right now that you would just give them a peace. Lord, what we could not do in the natural by way of medication, Lord, that your spirit would come and, and supernaturally give an ability, Lord, to, to press through that particular time. Some are stewarding those young promises. And Lord, I pray that you'd give them wisdom and diligence to steward it well and rightly. And most of all, I pray, oh God, that, that we would take the time to remember that, that your very own son, your very own son as he came into the earth, the, the greatest promise of all, Lord, faced incredible challenge and battle and prevail and Lord I pray right now that that same spirit that prevailing triumphant spirit would begin to enter into your people's hearts and into their minds I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus in the mighty name of Jesus let it begin to just overcome them with the knowledge that what they face right now that the sufferings even of this present season, are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is yet to be revealed. Lord, help us not 
by our own devices and choices and doings, Lord, somehow abort or miscarry our promise. Lord, I pray right now that we would handle that which you have declared and designed very carefully. I pray right now, Lord, that a spirit of encouragement would come to your people. Lord, that a spirit of just of joy would come to your people. That like, that like the people in the Christmas story of old, Lord, it's, it said when the angel spoke, Behold, I, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be to all the people. But for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a promise. Promise. That's the anointed one, Christ the Lord. Lord, I pray right now that, that we would hear those sounds again from your servants. That we would hear those voices again from your servants. That, Lord, we would see the completion of that promise which you have come to pass. Lord, I pray right now you'd work that in us and through us. Lord, cause us once again to be attuned to the spirit realm, I pray. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you this. If there's one here today, you've never opened up your heart to Jesus Christ. Listen to me now. I don't care if years ago you were like me and you went to church and you went through the ritual. I did all those things. Went to Sunday school class, listened to sermons. But I never really had a moment that I personally and with intention and my own will decided I want Jesus to be Lord. Christianity was a cultural thing for me. It was my family. It was my house. I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying for me, I sort of just was a Christian because I wasn't a Buddhist and I wasn't a Hindu and I wasn't a Muslim, so I must be that. But there was a moment I had to make a choice and I had to say, no, I've got to receive this promise. I'm not going to get any promises from God unless I first choose to receive the most important number one promise because the rest are in Him. And if I'm not in Him, then I won't see the yes and amen of the rest of my my future. You may be in here right now. And I'm not here to debate doctrine. I'm just here to say this. For whatever reason, you feel alienated, you feel distant, your relationship with God is not really where you know it ought to be. I'm not here to define that for you except to say it can change right now. You you can renew that or you you can receive him for as many as received him, the Bible says, to them he gave the power to be the sons of God. You gotta receive it. And so right now I wanna ask you this. If you need to get your relationship with the Lord up to date, get in Him. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want you to be honest enough right now. The first step towards change is honesty. The first step towards you getting to where you ultimately want to be and will be fulfilled in being is honesty. If that's you right now, if you're in that place right now, just lift your hand to God right now in this place. Just lift your hand to the Lord right now. Put your hand down. There was four or five. There are four or five right now. Now, this is what I'd like you to do and for you to consider. I'm not going to come chase you later. I'm not going to put you on the spot. Everybody's head was bowed. Everybody's eyes, eyes were closed. Nobody knew that your hand went up. But this is what I want to ask you to do right now. I want to I ask you to say yes to Jesus in a public way. 
Now, the reason I ask this isn't so it puts you on the spot, but the Bible says this. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. But if you'll deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. And so we do this in in order that you might have opportunity to give testimony to your desire in your heart. And can I just share this with you? Nobody judges you at this moment. In this house, we cheer you. And we love you. And we'll tell you it's the best decision you've ever made. But you're the one that's got to make this decision right now. And this is what we're all about, is seeing relationships restored to God and seeing good things come to pass in people's life as we walk out this way. So I'm going to pray right now. Father, I ask you right now, Lord, these hands that went up, you saw them, you know them. And Lord, it's really a decision between you and them, but we also know there's something unique that happens in this forum that can happen no other place. So I pray that by your spirit, you would give them the courage right now and the conviction to do what they know they really need to do, to just nail it down right here this morning. Nail it down. On the first Sunday of Christmas season, they just, they just say, I'm going to nail it down. This Christmas is going to be different because I'm nailing down my relationship to Jesus right now. Lord, I pray you do that and help them to do that. We love them. I know you love them. And right now, the question is whether or not, Lord, they want to respond. And I, I wish I could do that for them. But you help them right now, Lord. You go where I can't go. I pray right now in Jesus' name. And so I'm going to ask you right now, don't let your brain get in the way or it'll mess you up. But just go with your heart, your inner man. One, two, three, just right now, just come on, just step out and join me right here. And just join me right here. And just say, I want to get something right before I go. I want to get something right before I go. We're going to pray right now. I just want to get it right before I go. I want to get it right before I go. God bless you. Anyone else? I just, I want something to be changed in my life. Anyone? Guys, you're going to feel some, some hands probably slipping behind you. So ladies, our connect leaders, guys, connect, connect leaders just come and, and we're going to gather around here. And we're just going to pray for you because we love you and we want to agree with you. We think it's the best thing you've ever done. We love you. You believe that? You believe that, big guy? I believe that. God loves you a lot. together. Everybody's voice is going to be speaking right now. Everybody's voice. Just follow me. Everyone, dear Jesus, thank you today for calling me promised, for giving me a bright future that more than anything I want and I can only have in you. I come today confessing all my sin and waywardness. I also confess that you are Lord. I ask you to forgive me and I receive you now as Master and Lord of all my decisions in my life. I receive from you resurrection power and victory that will help me navigate this life. And I thank you, Lord, that your word says that as I've done this, 
I am a child of God. And you will prevail in my life. Thank you, Lord, that you've designed me for victory. The battle is yours. You will win it because I'm with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give the Lord a big hand. Praise God. I have some ladies right now. This is what we always like to do. We like the ladies just to pray one final time under the Connect banner. And Ron, you're going to have a couple guys with you. And if you just go, they're going to pray with you one more time at the Disciple banner. And that's what they're going to do and just encourage you and give you any material, guys. If you, if you, if you don't have a Bible, we'll give you a Bible or, or we'll give you all kinds of things to help you. But we just pray one more time with you before you go. Hey, folks, this is Christmas. And the most important thing about Christmas is God sent a promise in order that you and I might become the promised people. So let's not forget the reason for the season. This, for, We say it every year, but for all the other glitter and tinsel and stuff and junk, let's keep in mind that this whole thing's about Him. Amen? Lord, I thank You for these folks who I believe right now, Lord, are promised. I believe there's, there's more promise per square inch in this room than we can even imagine. So I pray right now, Lord, that You would oversee it, tend to it. Lord, I pray that you would watch over it, that it might come to pass and that it might be a blessing not just to the folks who personally have a stake in it, but Lord, I pray that it would bless you and be of kingdom purpose. Lord, I dismiss them this morning with just that sense of confidence, that sense of steadiness that only comes from you. Lord, let them see the real issues of life. Let them see, Lord, what really matters. Let them, let them see, Lord, that your kingdom and, and what you have, what we sometimes describe as being behind the scenes, that is of more value than anything else that's in front of us. Lord, I pray that you do that. Protect them, keep them, cause your face to shine upon them. Give them all peace, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord another big hand. Love each other. Encourage one another. God bless you. If I don't see you in the middle of the week, I'll see you next Sunday. God bless you. You're released.